We are in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and we're going to read through verses 31 through 36, and then we'll focus on just a couple of verses in this text. John, chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signified by what death he would die. The people answered him, we've heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus said to him, a little while longer and the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and then departed and was hidden from them. We're in the final week in the life of Christ. Judgment. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. There's something radical that is about to take place in this universe. Colossians 2 tells us that through the work of Christ on the cross, he's disarmed principalities and powers, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Hebrews 2 tells us that through death he would destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. We know in the book of Revelation that the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. There is something radical that was about to take place at the cross. The ruler of this world would be cast out. The next verse in this particular section is what we'll focus on the most this morning, is where Jesus says, and I... If I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. If I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all to myself. I'll draw all to myself if I and lifted up. We don't have to wonder what he's talking about there because it says this he said, signifying by what death he would die. He's about to be lifted up. He is about to go to the cross. And what he says here in, in, as he's speaking to his people, these disciples, is if I'm, if I'm lifted up from the earth I'll draw all peoples, I'll draw all to myself. We, as a church, um, we focus regularly on the gospel. We, we focus regularly on Christ and him crucified. We focus regularly on the cross. If you, if you look at this particular building, when when we moved in, um, 
there was popcorn ceilings, a few lights. It was really dark in here. Um, the walls were covered with some paint. The, there was a few chairs in here and some red carpet. And we looked at the building and just started thinking about what are we going to do with it. And there were some things that, that I had thought about for a long time, as well as others of our elders. And, and that would be that the cross would be something that would be central to our church building. You, you look at, at all that is in here, and, and if you look at just the lines of all of the cedar wood that's coming down, and if you look at this gigantic beam that comes from here and shoots out the building on the far side, it supports almost everything that goes, that, 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 that's a part of this building. And if you look at the limestone that's on the walls and everything, it's all, everything is pointing towards the cross. All of it is. Everything that, that, that is in here is, is, is to be centered upon the cross. We looked at how the pews were designed and how we were going to do everything. And it was just bringing us to a place of, we want central to everything that takes place here. The cross. When we thought about how that cross would look, the hymn that would come to my mind when I would think of even 20 years ago, like if if I ever pastored a church and I was involved with the building of a church, which happened to be um, five years ago or so, I always thought of that hymn, that, that old rugged cross. The hymn that says, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest stand best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I'll cling to that old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me, for the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. That old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction to me. Isn't that the case for us, brothers and sisters? That old rugged cross has a wondrous attraction to us. We center our church sanctuary on cross. But even more so, I pray that we would center our families our personal lives, all that takes place in this church, every ministry that exists out there, the center of it all is upon the cross. 
all of it is. We don't live in a, in a time in which Christ went to the cross and we believed in what he did on the cross. And, and now that we believe, we go from that point in, in, in our salvation to let's build programs now. Let's do stuff to help ourselves now. We believed in the cross. That happened. We got saved. Now what do we do? Now what do we do with our lives? Let's make all kinds of programs and start all kinds of ministries and do all these different things now to help people. And yeah, we, we believed in the cross. We believed in what Christ did. But now we got to move on. There, there's no moving on from the cross. If any of the ministries that are out there exist and the cross and Christ and him crucified is not central to those ministries, then they ought not to be a part of our church. Every part of our church needs to be centered upon the cross. Every part of our lives need to be centered upon the cross. I was thinking this morning um, of some people as I am one of the pastors at this church and think of shepherding the flock that's here. I, I was thinking of a family and just thinking from the evidence that I have that they have just grown to being in a place of being lukewarm. Um, thinking of their lives and thinking of how central the cross was to them. And, and then thinking, they seem to have gone far from that. They just seem to have gone far from that. And so as I was preparing to get ready to come here this morning, I, I started thinking like, well, how can I set up time to meet with them and encourage them and exhort them and point them towards the cross? And, and then I kind of stopped and thought, um, I bet there's a lot of families that here are here that find themselves in that same place of just being lukewarm and being in a place where there's all kinds of um, distractions in their lives. All kinds of things that are in their lives that, um, that preoccupy you. Where it used to be that, that, that Christ and him crucified was, and you thought about it, you breathed it, you just, you, it, it consumed you, it invaded your brain all the day long. And yet now you're in a place of, um, there's all kinds of other things that invade your brain. There's all kinds of other things that are um, that which preoccupy you, consume you. you. You could even be serving in ministry and doing all kinds of stuff and setting up tables and doing all that happens out there. And yet the, the cross is no longer... It's no longer central. 
What's central is just stuff and doing stuff and being busy and keeping up and all that's going on in life and retirement and making things happen, these things happen and getting people here and there and relationships and just stuff to where the cross hasn't had a a central place in your life for maybe a significant period of time. And this morning, as we read our text and study it, I want you to pray um, if that has occurred in your life. I I, I hesitated even as I, in the last five minutes, I, I hesitated in bringing up that I'm praying for someone in regards to like how to minister to them because they seem like they have fallen in a place of lukewarmness and sitting, you know, being in a place where where the cross is no longer central because I, I didn't, one is, these thoughts go through my mind on a regular basis and I don't bring it up. And the, the other thing is, is, is if I did, I know like there would be people where like, I think he's talking about us, honey. Did you see like when he said that he looked right at us? You, you know, like it, and immediately like you might take it that way and um, and I'm not but I, I, I think it's important to say that because if that's where you're at you don't want to be in that place of being far from where the cross is central to your life you just don't want to be in that place it's a horrible place to be you're going to be going about with just busyness and minutia and all kinds of stuff in your life. And the cross will not be central to why you do the things that you do. And so you have here the Lord saying, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. If I am lifted up, I will draw all to myself. Franz Dillich said about Isaiah 53, about that particular chapter in the Old Testament that was written hundreds of years before Christ went to the cross. He said about that that section of scripture, he said, quote, it looks as if it had been written beneath the cross upon Golgotha. Like you read, you read that particular chapter and he says, it looks when you read that in the book of Isaiah, it looks as if it was written beneath the cross. It looks like somebody had a pen and, and paper and was there beneath the cross as Jesus hung on that cross and was writing down what was taking place. That's what it looks like was taking place when Isaiah 53 was written. Turn there with me for a moment because I want to have a picture of this cross that we're talking about. Isaiah 53. Who, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, 
And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So you picture Christ there on the cross. Someone riding beneath the cross. We're looking at him and he's got a crown of thorns there on his head. His face is bruised from being punched. His back is raw and around, coming around his chest, the skin is just falling off from being scourged. Big stakes have been driven through his hands and through his feet. He's there and his mouth is dry. Parts of his beard have been plucked out. And Isaiah tells us here, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. The people are walking by saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. And they're saying, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. There's no beauty in him. He's despised, verse 3, and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and yet we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of of, of his soul and be satisfied. By the knowledge of my righteousness, my righteous servants shall justify many For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with transgressors, and bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Powerful. Like, you read through that, and you imagine yourself at the foot of the cross just seeing this. He's despised, he's rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We're being at a place of just, he's there and he's hanging upon this cross and we're just hiding our, our faces from him. 
He's wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. And we listened to all of this taking place. And then we think of what is occurring in all of this. And we find that he's drawing all peoples to himself. He's lifted up there on the cross and he is drawing all peoples to himself. You think of major gatherings that take place today. Major gatherings take place where all of these people follow, they go, and then after a while, people don't go and listen to that same band anymore. They do a concert and no one cares to go. They have a bad season and it's hard to fill the seats. Whatever it is that draws all of these different people, they go, they leave, and they were able to do this the one that time that they did it. And yet for the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been drawing all to himself. All peoples to himself. I think of being in Pakistan, not a place that I would have thought of as far as being filled with Christians. You can picture preaching there is probably 120 degrees, and we're in this little area between two buildings, and it was so hot. And yet there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, even a couple thousand people that are there standing up the whole time. And their faces are just filled with just such joy as they thought of their Savior. He draws people like that unto himself. I think of being in, in, in Sudan and, and playing against their national team and being in Khartoum and a place where I didn't know of hardly any Christians that lived there. So few that lived there and having the reporter come up to me like, hey, I know what you guys are trying to do. You're a Christian team. I'm a Christian. No one knows I'm a Christian. But if I give you an interview at halftime, could you preach the gospel? Here's this guy there in Khartoum and God saved him. Throughout the history of this world, he has been drawing all kinds of people to himself. See, the cross does that. It draws people to Christ. When you look at the cross, a proper view of the cross will just destroy pride. Destroys pride. You can't look at the cross with a proper view, I should say, and be proud. How do, you, how do you look at Christ hanging upon the cross with nails driven through his hands and his feet and being there and just think like, look at me. I did it. I earned it. I've done enough. It just, it just destroys pride when you look at the cross. But what does it do? It draws people to him. When you look at the cross and you have a proper view of the cross, um, It destroys us trying to earn favor with God by our own righteousness and our own legalistic hearts. You can't look at the cross and think of Christ upon that cross and think, look at all that I've done. Or look at how good of a Christian I am. Look at what I've accomplished. You look upon that old rugged cross and you picture our Savior there dying and it ought to just eliminate any kind of 
us producing our own righteousness, as if us doing that is going to add to what he's done. A proper view of the cross destroys guilt and condemnation in the Christian's life. You look at the cross and when Jesus says, I'll draw all peoples to myself, the cross draws people to Christ because we look upon the cross and we see Christ upon the cross and our guilt has been placed upon him. A horrific sight as far as thinking he became sin for us. Is there any place for condemnation for us now? No, there's no place for condemnation because all of the condemnation that we deserve, all the wrath that we deserve was placed upon Christ on the cross to where at this point we look at our lives and see our lives and say, there's no condemnation. For those that have the mentality of we, we die here on earth and, and then we go and we'll suffer for a period of time in heaven based upon how we live, I don't... I know with certainty they don't have a proper view of what Christ accomplished on the cross. There is no going to suffer after this because what he did was sufficient. There's no going to a place and suffering in heaven for a period of time because we have to do that in order to complete what he has done for us on the cross. He draws all people to himself because it was completed there. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. If you come here this morning and you're covered with guilt and you've just... Or condemning yourself because you look at your life and there's sin, all kinds of sin that has been there. Run to the cross. Let him draw you to the cross this morning like he has done for the last couple thousand years. Where you look and you see what he accomplished for the cross on the cross and say, he paid the price for me completely. He takes away my guilt. He takes away my condemnation. He takes away the wrath that I deserved and it's all gone. May that draw us to him. A proper view of the cross will flood our hearts with joy. I mean, if you have a proper view of the, of, of the cross and you're struggling with just depression, you're struggling with sadness, you look at your life and it's just there's, there's very little joy that's in your life, look at the cross. Fix yourself on the cross. Let God draw you to the cross because you look at the cross and you look what Christ accomplished for you on the cross and you, you think about it and you make it central to your life when you wake up in the morning, when you're going throughout your day and when you go to bed at night, you make the cross central and there's joy because whatever it is that happens to you in this life, your sins have been removed and his righteousness has been placed upon you. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. Your sin, every last one of them, past, present, future, has been hurled into the depth of the sea. You get to have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and reserved in heaven for you because of the cross. You have the Holy Spirit that has been given to you because of the cross. You've been made his child because of the cross. You've been made his bride because of the cross. Whatever your circumstances are like in this life right now, it's nothing in comparison to what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross to where everything could be fallen to pieces. But the fact that there's not one of your sins that remains, how can that not bring you joy when you fix yourself upon the cross? He draws all peoples to himself because they look upon the cross and there's joy that's there because you got a burden that was put upon your back and he just takes it all off of you. The cross. Sins forgiven. A proper view of the cross will extinguish doubt of God's love for you. I mean, when there's times in your life where you're looking and saying, like, does he love me? 
Does he love me? Does he even love me? These are the things that I've wanted in this life. It, it didn't happen. Does he love me? And you start to wonder these things. You start to ask yourself these things. And then you look at the cross and it extinguishes that doubt if it's a proper view of the cross. Because how do you look upon that and think about Christ saving you and dying on that? Think about the Father giving you his son and placing his son upon the cross. When it says it pleased the Father to bruise him, it wasn't, it wasn't the Jews and it wasn't the Romans and it wasn't those people who killed Christ upon the cross. It was the Father that did that. He could have had legions of angels come down and rescue him. It says in Isaiah, it, tells, it, it pleased the Father to bruise him, to put him to shame. How do you ever doubt the love of God when you get your mind off of circumstances and it just looks strictly to the cross? People want to be loved, don't they? People flock to circumstances where it's like, well, I'm loved there. I'm loved by that person. They flock to that. And for the last 2,000 years, people have been flocking to Christ because they see the love of the Father for us and they see the love of the Son for us. They look at the cross and he draws all peoples to himself because there's no question as far as the love of God Almighty for you, a wretched sinner. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how uneducated you are. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed in your life, whether you appear to people to be righteous or whether you appear to be the, the least of the least in the world's eyes. It draws all people to himself. Millionaires need the cross. The poorest of the poor need the cross. The people that grew up in Christian homes are in desperate need of the cross. And the person that has committed heinous crimes is in desperate need of the cross. All kinds of people come to him as he's lifted up. It is only Christ and him crucified that can meet our deepest need. A proper view of the cross destroys half-hearted worship. I mean, if you're in a place of just, I don't feel like I mean it when I worship in song or going to church or just in life in general, then just fix your minds on the cross because you've been distracted with all kinds of other stuff in your life that has made it so that that has not become the priority anymore and you have all other kinds of things in your life that have become the priority. Fix yourself upon the cross because you look at the cross and you think of yourself as a sinner and you think of yourself deserving eternity in hell and you look at the cross and it just draws you unto whom? Unto Christ. It draws you to him and it makes it so that you want to be with him and you want to praise him and you want to worship him and you want to give thanks. You see, if he is lifted up, he'll draw all peoples to himself. If you're living a lukewarm life right now, fix yourself upon the cross. Fix yourself there. Think about it in the morning. Think about it throughout your day. Think about when, it, when you lie down on your bed. Make the cross central in your life again. It extinguishes lukewarm living. John Stott said, The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to go near enough for its sparks to fall on us. Let me break that down for you. The cross is this blazing fire at which the flame of our love 
for him is kindled. But we have to go near enough. We have to be in a place where we go near enough for its sparks to fall on us. If you're far from having the cross and Christ and him crucified central to your life, those sparks are not going to fall on you. And that flame of love, that burning for Christ, that adoration towards him, that living where it's just you're fixed upon him and serving him and there's joy in it all, will not fall upon you if you are not near to the cross. If you think that we thought about this at salvation, but now let's just do it on our own, you've missed it. You're far from it. The sparks will never fall upon you. Every ministry here at this church must be just focused on the cross and Christ and him crucified. Everything that we think about must be saturated in the cross and Christ and him crucified. Because when you go back to that over and over again, you're drawn to Christ, you're brought to him, you're brought near to him. It changes everything in our lives. It changes the way that we pray and it changes the way that we worship and it changes the way that we view sin. It changes all those things because he's lifted up and he draws all peoples unto himself. It does that to us. He does that to us. Everything will be cross-centered in heaven. It doesn't stop here. It will happen in heaven. Revelation 5, 6, and I look, John says, Behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And listen to the song. So they're there and they're singing the song. The song goes like this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. You've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue, and people, and nation. You've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and living creatures, and elders. The number of them was ten thousands times ten thousands, and thousands, and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Do you get it? The, 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 the cross is central to us now, and it will be central throughout all of history. Throughout all eternity, we are going to be saying things like, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Why do we worship him? Why has he drawn us to him? Why is it that there's people from every tribe and every people and every nation? Why are all of us there in heaven singing praises to him because he was slain? Because of the cross. It changes everything for us. Absolutely everything for us if we stay fixated upon the cross. If we get fixated on stuff and stuff and stuff and building stuff and building stuff and doing things and everything and we lose focus on Christ and Him crucified, we'll be lost. And yet, for the last couple thousand years, and for us today, Jesus said, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, 
will draw all peoples to myself. He has drawn us to himself. He has called us to himself. He has brought us who were once afar off near to him by himself. He's made it so that we can enter into the Holy of Holies because he was lifted up. He's made it so we get to spend eternity with him, washed completely clean of all of our sins because of what he's accomplished for us on the cross. When Jesus said that in that final week of his life, Oh, how that's true, isn't it? You were here this morning because he was lifted up. Because of the cross. And he has drawn you unto himself. May we never doubt his love for us. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just think upon that verse, Lord. You being lifted up. You knew exactly what that meant. You knew exactly that that was pointing to you going upon that cross. You knew exactly that that was a picture of that serpent that was there in the wilderness being lifted up there on that pole. People fixing their eyes upon you. Finding hope in you. Finding salvation through you. Having guilt removed because of the cross. Condemnation removed because of the cross. Wrath removed from the cross. Joy that is found because of the cross. The clarity of the sense of love from you coming from the cross. And you use all of those things to draw us unto you, our Savior, to where we will be there at the foot of the cross, praising the Lamb that was slain for all eternity. I pray, Lord, that that would be central to our lives. I pray, Lord, that if we have gone into a place where individually or as a family or even areas in our church in which that cross is not central to all that we do, may we repent of those things and fix ourselves upon you, Christ, and you crucified. May the gospel be that which not only saves us, but it enables us to live this Christian life. It fuels our worship. It fuels missions. It fuels our prayer. It fuels everything that we do. It fuels the way that we give. It fuels the way that we serve you. When we go out there, when we look at the different tables that are out there, may our love for you and your love for what you've accomplished for us on the cross be that which just makes us want to magnify you and pour that love into others, whether it be the homeless or whether it be people who are in need or whether it be people who are in the uttermost parts of this world or in Colorado City or in Utah or in Compton or on our high school campuses or wherever it is, our children's ministry, Lord, our men's ministry, our women's ministry, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would just be fueled because you were lifted up and you've drawn us unto yourself. May the cross be that which just is our focal point in all that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.